Support for this podcast and the following message come from Lagunitas Brewing Company, challenging the status quo and crafting stories along the way. Featuring a wide range of innovative craft brews and non-alcoholic options, it's good to have friends. Learn more at Lagunitas.com. Lagos is a city of travelers, hoping to either find their luck or make it from scratch. You're listening to Rough Translation from NPR. Every few years... I grew discontent with my staid, predictable life in London. I wonder if I should move back to Lagos, where all the action seems to be happening. This is from an essay called Frontier Town, we encountered in the Travel Quarterly Stranger's Guide. The writer, Chibundu Onuzo, thinks longingly of the city of her birth, Lagos, in Nigeria. But she's also wary of who she might become if she left London and moved back home. We asked her to read this excerpt. Lagos is the only place I know where the noun oppressor is used as a compliment. For most people, the change creeps up on you without you even noticing. The more successful you become in Lagos, the more deference you get. The more deference you get, the more likely you are to end up an oppressor unless you deliberately swim against the tide of cultural expectations. Would I become an oppressor if I moved to Lagos? I don't know. My instincts are egalitarian, but life is a lot easier in Lagos when people perceive you have money. The police talk to you with respect. You don't wait for hours in the bank. I notice this about myself when I'm in Lagos. I start caring more about my clothes, my shoes, what Lagosians would call my packaging. Lagos feels like home to her, but would Lagos change her? Would it chip away at the version of herself that she wanted to be? In the essay, Chibundu talks about one person from whom she might seek advice on this question, her older brother, Chinaza Anuzo, 10 years her senior. We met properly when I was a young adult, and he was taking his first steps into a career in private equity. By this time, I was in boarding school in England, and he had returned to Lagos to become a full-time hustler, or so it seemed to me. Her brother Chinaza's side hustle, as she calls it, is trying to transform the landscape of Nigerian cinema to make Nigerian films for export. He produced The Wedding Party, which is one of the highest-grossing Nigerian films, and he's had films on Netflix and Amazon Prime. If anyone had some advice for her about the price of making it in Lagos, he might. In Lagos, everything is heightened. But can I live at that feverish pitch for longer than a three-week holiday? What does Chinaza think? I want to know. Chibundu is the author of three novels, the first of which won the Betty Trask Award and was shortlisted for the Dylan Thomas Prize. She's also a frequent contributor to The Guardian and other outlets where she often writes about Nigeria. But there was much she did not know about her own brother's story, how exactly he'd risen up in Lagos, and what he had to confront about himself. Hey, Chibs, how are you? Um, Chinaza, why is your camera not on? Because I can see your stack of books, and I was like, it's a very big stack of books. This is Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. If you've ever thought to yourself that you need to be hustling more, but worry that hustling might turn you into a hustler or something that you're not, that's exactly how Chibundu felt going into this conversation with her brother. Their conversation was so thoughtful and wide-ranging, we're going to play an extended excerpt of it here, mixed in with Chibundu's own writings. And then we're going to check back in with Chibundu about how this conversation changed her. It's Ourselves at Work on Rough Translation, back after this break. 
Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. With thousands of options under $20,000, plus customizable financing terms and down payments as low as $0 down, it's easy to find a car that fits your lifestyle. Visit Carvana.com or download the app today. Terms and conditions may apply. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. Chibundu had lots of questions for her older brother about the person he had become in Lagos. But she started the conversation at the beginning. Who was he when he first left Nigeria at age 15? So you moved to England when you were 15 to go to boarding school in Winchester. And what was that like? When I was in Winchester, I was from Nigeria. So basically, I had a completely different experience than pretty much everybody else in school. And obviously, we know you, like your siblings know you as Chinaza. But everybody in the industry and most of your friends now call you Naz. And if I, again, I might be making this up, but I feel like the name Naz came from Winchester College. Is this true? So basically, (laughs) there was this thing that they did when we were in Winchester where they used to give the black kids nicknames of actors. It was weird. Don't ask me why. So they basically said, oh, we should call you Will. And I'm like, no, I don't look anything like Will Smith. That's so random. And then they were like, oh, but we cannot pronounce your name, Chinaza. It's too difficult. I'm like, okay, fine. You can call me Naza. I'm like, Naza, that's weird. That's also hard. And I was like, fine, call me Naz. Like, literally. Like the rapper. And then like, yes, but with a Z. So that's literally how it stuck. Okay, I'm just saying, your friends at your boarding school wanted to call you Will Smith because you were black. Um, But this is not reason. But I think and this is also like our generational thing. I'm like definitely a much younger millennial than you. So I'm shouting microaggression from the rooftops, but okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I suppose it was... But anyways, okay. That's fair. That's fair. I will now re-examine my life. Oh, what is me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. First, you've gone to one of the oldest boarding schools in the world. Then you go to Duke. Then you get a master's. Um, did you? Was that another culture shock for you? Or had you sort of become acclimatized to this very privileged, very white sort of spaces by going to Winchester first? Wow. Really? Yeah, really. Very privileged, very white. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but that's the thing, though. So, actually, so let me put it differently. So one of the things that Winchester does is that it expects you to conquer the world, like conquer the world. Like it, it basically says you are a member. So this is it's going to sound a certain way, but that you are a member of the elite. Go on, do it. And so if, and so if you do the work, you can achieve anything you put your mind to, right? I then apply for jobs. Mm-hmm. It's not two or three interviews. It's 10, right? You name it, I interviewed Deutsche Bank. JP Morgan, Credit Suisse, um, Citibank, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, et cetera, et cetera. But no, no offense, like literally. 
My brother moved back to Nigeria after graduating with an economics degree from an American university and a master's from a British university. He knew what he had to offer, and if you failed to hire him, that was your loss, not his. This extreme confidence is typical of Lagosians. Sometimes I find my own self-confidence eroded by living in London, where I am an ethnic minority. I need some of that Lagos mentality. A microaggression is somebody else's problem, not mine. I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. If you don't recognize it, get out of here. So that is the, you know, they say that like you always have a next goal. So the next goal for us over the next five to 10 years is to basically build out a global creator from Nigeria. So that's our goal. Right, so like how the Koreans have done, the British have done, the Indians have done. We want to basically build global creators from Nigeria. It doesn't even have to be us. We just want to enable the creation of that. So this is also like my my whole thing with you that I find fascinating about you. Because I don't think as an outsider, you would have been able to break into the Hollywood film industry or the film industry in the UK. I can't think of many black producers in the UK that would have a string of films or televisions like you didn't go to film school you don't know this person you know you don't know that person and you just say oh I want to make films um so yeah I I guess it's two questions in one how did you break into the Lagos film industry so one of the things about in film industries in general like the more structured it is the harder it is to break in right in general because the barriers to entry are higher just by the nature of it in the U.S. and the U.K., it's like, oh, those entrepreneurs over there are special. But in Nigeria, everybody's an entrepreneur. You get what I mean? Because we believe that that is the culture. It's just that, like, Nigeria rewards entrepreneurship. But paradoxically, Nigeria also punishes failure a lot. The risks of success are high. The risks of failure are, are also high. Or, so people are like, I cannot fail and I must succeed. Well, part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you is sporadically every two or three years, I think, hmm, what would life be like if I moved back to Nigeria? Was there any incident that made you think, gosh, I wish I hadn't moved back to Nigeria? No. Well, I mean, okay, I take that back. So in so, <laughs> so when I moved back, um, the car that was available for me to drive was this old... So my, my our uncle, Uncle Frank, lent me his old Maxima or something. It was an old car. They were coming home on 3rd Mayland Bridge and there was a broken-down truck on the side of the road on <laughs> no hazard lights, no caution, no nothing. It was just parked in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And then I saw it, and then I tried to change lanes. Mm-hmm. The bus next to me did not let me in. It literally was like, I'm not letting you overtake me. You will not overtake me. I'm going to win. The bus sped up. So literally, there was I was literally about to crash <laughs> because the bus driver next to me was refusing to let me in. So literally, I had to speed up and swerve around it, missed it by inches, Right. And, I, and so that was Nigerian culture in a nutshell. Maybe that was like two months after I was back in Nigeria. Okay, well, my question for you is, why didn't you slow down? <laughs> no, because I couldn't slow down. You so went into the head I couldn't head slow down. 
no, 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 no. So I was, because it wouldn't have worked because there were two, there was a car behind him. I wouldn't have been able to, like, like in that, I, I, in the split second assessment, slowing down would have been worse. Okay, it sounds like you'd acclimatize pretty well in those two months. You're like, we, we, I will speed up no, with no. you and I will risk my life, but I'm going to win. No, I mean, I, I, I clearly looked at the slowing down option, I think. But like, <laughs> the decision was like, yes. So, I mean, there are a few times where you almost got robbed, like, but stuff like that. I mean, thankfully, I haven't been robbed in traffic. I mean, they've knocked at my window a couple of times, those types of things. I was at a bar when robbers were outside. I guess this is the Wild West thing that sort of does make me apprehensive about moving back to somewhere like Lagos. Like, you're just saying casually in conversation, yeah, I was in a bar and there were robbers outside and yes, this, that, that, and yeah, but it's Joe. I'm like, um, perhaps, I, I, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm ready to just accept that that would be just a part of the background. In the Wild West, at least that of Hollywood's imagining, a man could walk into a saloon for a drink and end up shot dead by an outlaw. In Lagos, a person can drive to work one day and end up robbed in traffic at gunpoint. There's a certain badge of honour to almost dying and then carrying on as if nothing has happened. Lagosians don't just have a stiff upper lip. Their upper lips are made of concrete. But at what cost? I feel actually we've had a couple of conversations where you've basically called me a slacker. So you have. So I wouldn't use the word slacker because I am not fair with Bueller's dad. So what I have said and is that you should go for the things that you want. That's just what I've said. Because you always choose when it, the thing that you want feels like there's conflict, you shy away from the conflict. And so my general point is that you shouldn't run away from conflict if it's part of the thing that you want. Let's go there and figure it out one way or another. So basically, I need to step on the accelerator when the van is next to me instead of pressing the brakes. Basically, I need to get more of that. No, I'm going to accelerate past you. Um, okay. No, yes. so I wouldn't say that. <laughs> See, that's the thing. There are different types of entrepreneurs. An, an entrepreneur is somebody who feels so passionate about a problem that they think they are the only one who can solve it. It is actually divorced from whether they're aggressive, whether they're whatever. What you have is belief. And that's it. I don't know. I mean, there are many things I believe, you know. I believe that, okay, that like the UK government is, is their policy towards young people is faulty. There are many there are things they should be doing to make sure that young people in this country have more opportunities. I believe it. But am I going to believe it's enough to actually go and stand for government in this country? I don't know. Would I be more likely to enter politics in Nigeria? I think I would. No, but let me ask you a question. This is a simple question, based on what you just said. Mm -hmm. If you went to, what's your council, your local government? So if you were there and you walked up to them and said, I want to do X, Y, Z, here's a proposal, I want to do an after school thing for this, that and the other, will they say no? No, they wouldn't say no, actually. No, they they wouldn't say no. They wouldn't say no. Um, You're right, actually. Mm-hmm. And then as, after you start that thing, as a celebrity author, you say, oh, can you give me X amount of pounds? Having piloted it in X, can we take it citywide? Can we take it countywide? Can we take it nationwide? If you really believe that that was what you should do, you, have, you can do it. You just don't believe it enough. 
But you see, you've you've already brought your Lagos mentality to my throwaway idea. See, that's my point. Like, I'm already tired. Like, I just wanted to do something small. You're like, let's take it council-wide. Let's take it England-wide. Let's take it nationwide. Let's go for world domination. I'm like, oh my God, I need a nap. I need a nap. <laughs> Rough translation also needs a break. Just a short one. We'll be right back. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your app store today. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. We're back with Rough Translation. I'm Gregory Warner. When Chibundu told her brother that she'd be more likely to enter politics if she lived in Nigeria, that's a trend that she's seen before. There's a long history of writers getting involved in politics in Nigeria, not because they want to, but just because they feel compelled to. She points out the Nigerian writer Wale Salinka was imprisoned during the Nigerian Civil War. Chinua Achebe campaigned internationally for Biafran independence. And it happens often, actually. Shoyinka and Achebe are just two very prominent examples, but there are others. Because of the prominence your writing gives you, you can't stand on the sidelines when push comes to shove. Whereas in this context, like, I don't think people expect, you know, writers, you know, if, even if you do write about politics in, in London, for example, I don't think anyone then expects you to, to then go on and become a politician, etc., etc. In the Stranger's Guide essay that introduced us to Chibundu, she worried that Lagos would chip away at her moral stance, turn her slowly into an oppressor, flashing the outward signs of success in exchange for access. But this was the flip side of that fear, that she'd feel obligated in Lagos to become a reformer, something that she doesn't feel quite ready for in Nigeria or in England. Just a few hours before this call with her brother, she'd actually gone to her local youth center in London and volunteered to organize a mentorship program for the summer. I literally, after I had the meeting and I got home, I was like, 
what have I gotten myself into? What have I taken on? Have I taken on too much? I'm doing so much this year. And then I left and I was like, uh, have I just overpromised? <laughs> so you felt self-doubt as soon as you put action to your belief. 100%. And then immediately you're thinking, oh my God. I... <laughs> and so what was that doubt around? Was it... I didn't like feeling overwhelmed. And I don't like feeling that I've taken on too much. Which is why she worried about moving to Nigeria, where it seemed that all her friends and family were taking on as much as possible. It's funny, people talk about how like, oh, you don't have to turn every hobby into a job. That that's capitalism. That makes you feel like everything you enjoy doing, you have to monetize it. Um, and people talk about that in the Western world. But like in Lagos, this is to the like times 10. So, you know... You enjoy eating ice cream. So now you're going to have a blog about eating ice cream and sell advertising about it. It's like, I just wanted to have vanilla ice cream. But you know, but now it's turned into like a side hustle. And like Lagos is like the city of side hustles. Everyone is doing something on the weekends, doing something. And Chibundu wondered, did she have the energy to live in a place where everyone's finding their hustle, everyone's pressing their advantage? So there's a Nigerian phrase called shine your eye. Um, so what it effectively means is that everybody is out there to take advantage of you, right? So you have to live your life accordingly. But that was one of, one of the earliest decisions that I made was to not do that. Chinaza tells her this story about when he first moved to Nigeria in his early 20s. And he hired a motorbike driver, an Okada driver, to take him a fairly long distance. The ride took almost an hour. But before they set out, they settled on a price, 100 naira, which back then was worth about $1. And so once he drops me, he's like, oh, God, so that's boss. It's, a, it's very, very far. Please add something for me. Just 50 naira. And I said, no, we agreed 100 naira. We agreed 100 naira. And I walked away. That 50 naira would have made no difference to me. But the idea in my head was that I had told you this was the price. And I had overshot what was reasonable based on that price. But since we agreed, it was more important for me to be like, you cannot convince me. And I walked away. And I was like, but Naz, that 59 would have made all the difference in his life. But for you, you just, you just didn't give him that extra 59 to win an argument. So, and I always remember that because that is the consequence of, of always winning. You end up in these weird zero-sum games that don't have to be. So that's so I always use that example to remind myself about they have to be that this need to win at all costs is there's limits. I think that's really interesting, like how there's value in that sometimes you might lose because someone might take advantage of you, but what you lose by being hard all the time is even greater. So the question is always what do you believe in? What do you believe to be true that no one else does, right? That is the thing, right? And that is what makes an entrepreneur. And that is not a Lagos thing. So, so the question that I always tell me is like, what do you believe in? I think it's, it's been actually really good to hear what you're saying about, about belief. I think I do have more self-doubt than you. Or maybe you do have self-doubt and you don't present it as much. I think I do eventually sort of psych myself into going after what I want but I think I do with it a lot more hand-wringing and like oh is this the right decision or should I do it or should I not I don't know 
people always look down on belief or conviction because in this in this hour it is like conviction is a fool's errand can you really be sure can you really know you you cannot know but what do you believe and what are you willing to do to make your belief happen because you see the, the truth of your belief is how much are you willing to do for it to be tested Chibunu, I, I want to ask you about um this last part of your conversation with your brother about belief. Because when I listened back, I think a second or third time, I started hearing you guys discussing belief in a, in a bigger way. Uh. Something like about belief that wasn't just about success or making it. I think we're talking about how do you do something you say you believe in? So he's not talking about making money mm-hmm. or writing books or whatever. It's just if you have something you say or think you want to do, how does this thing move from an idea into action? I think that's what we're talking about. Chibundu came into this conversation with her brother doubting that she had the energy to hack it in a place as entrepreneurial as Lagos. But talking to her brother, she remembered how she feels whenever she goes back home. I sort of feel more confident. Um, it's so funny, actually. I went to the airport and the guy who was checking out passports when I landed in Lagos, he wasn't wearing a uniform. And I told him off. And I was like, why aren't you wearing a uniform? You should be wearing a uniform. And I don't think I would dare do that at immigration in London. <laughs> but then I just have a sort of confidence. It's like, I'm home. You know, nobody can tell me anything. This is my country. And that's my energy in Lagos. It's big Chibundu energy. So <laughs> I just move through the world very confidently. In I am, I am trying to import some of that energy here as well, actually. Here to London, she means. That's her plan now. She's still not quite ready to move to Lagos, but she's going to try to import that confidence and that energy to make a small difference in her adopted country. Chibundu told our producer, Justine Yan, that despite her doubts, she is going ahead this summer with the mentorship program at the Youth Center. Like the amount of effort you put into it shows how much belief you have. Um yeah, and he's right. That's not a Lagos thing. That's not a UK thing. That's just like, it has to be inside. It's about what's inside you. And yeah, we're going to do it this summer. And it's going to be good. And I think, actually, again, now this, my brother has infected me. So this is your mm-hmm. side hustle. <laughs> I think side hustle, is, side hustle is strong. But um, this, is <laughs> this is my side my side project, my side passion project. On our next episode of At Work, how do you drive an 18-wheel truck while at the same time homeschooling your kid? You know, we've had dry erase markers where she's just writing down the side of the window a math problem that she's struggling with, and so we're walking through it together. Women truckers tell their stories of freedom and loneliness in the long haul. That's next week on Rough Translation. So when are you coming home? I know I'm Mr. But I'm human and I'm learning all the time. When are you coming, coming home? If you walk a
This episode was produced by Justine Yan, Pablo Arguez, and our lead producer, Adelina Lanciniz. Edited by Bruce Oster, who's our senior supervising producer. The Rough Translation team also includes Luis Treas, Tessa Paoli, Nick M. Nevis, and Bhaskar Chowdhury. Editorial insight from Sana Krasikov. It's what I deserve, Chibundu Onuzo is not only a writer, she's also a singer. In fact, this is one of her tracks called Coming Home. Baby, I said I'm sorry. I treated you like a fool. Big thanks to the magazine Stranger's Guide, where we found Chibundu's essay. If you don't know Stranger's Guide, we're big fans of it here at Rough Translation. They devote each issue to a single place, and then they commission local writers and journalists to talk about that place. It's very thoughtful, beautiful photos. Check it out. John Ellis composed our theme music, additional music by FirstCom Music and Blue Dot Sessions, mastering by Josh Newell, fact-checking by Ada Purasad, legal guidance from Micah Ratner and Eduardo Miselli, NPR Standards Editor is Tony Cavan. Emily Bogle is our visuals editor. Our supervising producer is Liana Simstrom. Our senior vice president for programming is Anya Grunman. I'm Gregory Warner, back next week with more At Work from Rough Translation. When are you coming, coming This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top-10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stamps.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR.